Support for this podcast comes from Kinney Drugs, celebrating 120 years of providing medications, advice, and quality healthcare products and services. Kinney pharmacists administer all CDC-recommended vaccines to those age 18 and older, including flu, HPV, Tdap, MMR, chickenpox, and hepatitis A and B. They also administer vaccines indicated for older adults, including shingles for age 50+, plus, RSV for age 60+, plus, and pneumonia for age 65+. Plus. Employee-owned and locally committed since 1903. Learn more at kinneydrugs.com. This process deals with reality. It says you are going to be co-parents for the rest of your lives, and you can set a new narrative, which is that, you know, we are going to be better friends and co-parents than we were a married couple. And even just creating a new narrative like that sets the tone where friendship after a divorce is, is not only possible, but probable. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Newly married couples swear that they will love each other till death do us part. But for many, love ends far sooner than life. Half of first marriages and two-thirds of second marriages end in divorce. Ending a marriage does not have to be a bitter fight. Collaborative divorce is a process of ending a marriage through cooperation and negotiation. Couples agree to work together with their respective attorneys to resolve differences and not go to court. Collaborative divorce also usually includes the help of neutral parties, including a financial advisor and a mental health coach. Some of the advantages of collaborative divorce are that it is typically faster, cheaper, and more amicable than traditional divorce. Burlington attorney Nancy Smith was a traditional divorce lawyer, a so-called shark. Her adversarial approach made her feel that she was deepening the misery of her already unhappy clients. She decided to change her approach, and she now specializes in collaborative divorce. She is the author of the book, Untangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce. On this Vermont Conversation, we talk about collaborative divorce with Nancy Smith. Later in the program, we'll be joined by one of her collaborative divorce clients, Martine Antel. Nancy Smith, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much for having me, David. For you to have gotten into this field, you kind of had to divorce your old profession as a traditional adversarial lawyer. Explain what brought about your parting of ways with you know the the craft that you were trained to to take on. Well, thank you for that complex question regarding identity. And it's true. Um being trained to be a lawyer was what I wanted to do since I was a young child. I was called into the profession. I wanted to fight for justice. Um, I didn't like bullies. I really enjoyed being in the adversarial um, space. I liked being in court. I liked advocating for people who felt like they didn't have a voice for themselves. And yet there did come a time when I started to question whether my role in family court was serving clients and their children and the family as a whole. And it occurred to me that the adversarial system itself um, was not serving uh, families and it wasn't making me feel good as an individual and as a person. So 
remarkably around the same time that I had that epiphany is when I learned about collaborative divorce in 2005. Was there an experience that you were having as an attorney that just made you realize you couldn't keep doing things the way you were doing them? Yes, there's been a couple of them over the over the years. It's not easy to change one's professional identity um, and to do a paradigm shift, especially in this area of uh, family law practice. But the first one was coming home from a tremendously bitter court custody battle. I'd been assigned by the court to represent children. And I just came back thinking, I don't think I serve justice today. Um, I have a, a woman who was spitting at me from the court, um, calling me a barracuda. And then I started thinking about all the names that family lawyers have, trial lawyers in particular, like we're every kind of mean animal, right? We're sharks or we're bulldogs or we're, um, I, I was now the barracuda. Um, and I just didn't feel proud of it anymore. Um, so there was that moment. And then there's just an overarching feeling that the family court system, um, it's, adversari it's adversarial by design. And I tend to believe that you get out of life what you put into it. So if you go into an adversarial system, you're gonna emerge adversaries. And that's not uh, really what I set out to do. Had you been uh, a family lawyer, a divorce lawyer? Is, had that been your specialty right since you graduated Vermont Law School? It really was. Um, it was not my original intention to become a divorce lawyer when I was little. Um, I wanted to do something like international human rights or something very noble. Um, and yet I came to Vermont and I stayed in Vermont. And this was uh, an area of practice that I found that I had an aptitude for and I really thought was important work. So I stuck with it for 30 well, years. When you say you had an aptitude at it, what do you feel like made you good at it prior to changing yourself into a collaborative lawyer? Well, I tend to be pretty feisty. And so I like to be supportive. Um, I I like to advocate for people. I, um, I don't like bullies. Uh, and so... Oftentimes, people who find themselves in that adversarial system don't have um, a strong sense of who they are at that moment. And I feel like I can connect with people and support them through what I know is going to be an incredibly challenging major life transition. So you start to feel kind of alienated. You're being called names. Um, what did you think you would do? What did you think your options were at that time? And and maybe date this a little for us. Sure. So in 2005, when I had that um, particular moment in court, literally the internet was just kind of, I don't know where the internet was at that point, but I did get an email somewhat arbitrarily, but maybe by divine providence that talked about collaborative divorce as a system. And I just went down that hole where I kept following the links and I'm like, what is this? This is a, a revolutionary concept of getting divorced out of court in a non-adversarial way as part of an interdisciplinary team of professionals, lawyers, mental health professionals, and financial neutrals to help people get divorced with some degree of grace and dignity. And I thought, wow, that sounds very modern, very sensible. I want to do it. 
So that's when I started my training. How did you have to retrain yourself? What did you have to unlearn and unsee to do this work? It is not easy to um, take deep looks at yourself, but we ask clients all the time to to gain some insight um, as they're approaching their divorce. And so for me, I try not to be a hypocrite and I want to practice what I preach. So I had to do some deep work on myself about what is it, um, how do I want to bring my my best self to the table? And um, being a bully in turn is not being my best self, um, you know, threatening people with court and litigation if they don't if I don't get my way that's not me being my best self that's a common tactic um and I just recognize that I I need to listen better and I need to slow down how hard was that for you <laughs> for me it's incredibly difficult to slow down I am a fast person by nature and listening deeply to what other people are saying is a real gift and a skill that I encourage everybody to practice if you haven't uh, taken too much time about that lately. So um, let's talk about what is collaborative divorce. It sounds like an oxymoron. Divorce is about parting ways. Uh, it's about entering a situation where people are not able to agree. And as part of the name, this is talking about we're going to agree on how to disagree. So explain what this is. Sure. So it could be an oxymoron, or it could be a paradox or a Zen koan, which is what I tend to think about it. You have to come together to separate well. And so think about that. It, you have an important primary relationship that was very, very valuable to you for many years. And now it's not working anymore. So the question is, how do we untangle that? How do we move forward in a way that offers mutual respect and dignity? And so uh, a collaborative model is both a mindset and a process. And so the mindset is that you want to come to it with at least the hope that you could do this well and not screw up your children. And what we recognize as professionals is that it's very difficult to make good decisions about your children and your future financial security when you are feeling heartbroken and overwhelmed by emotion. And a divorce brings up naturally a host of emotions. And so I like to think of divorce as 80% emotional, 10% legal, 10% financial. And we need to address the emotionality before we can start making rational decisions about money and future finances and relationships with children and things like that. Isn't that more the job of a therapist than a lawyer? It could be, um, but I think it's the job of any sense sensitive human being who's engaged in helping people through this major life transition. So just because the, the mental health professionals definitely have um, years of experience, and I am not a mental health coach. Um, I'm just a divorce lawyer, but I've seen a lot of suffering, and I want to help alleviate it. And I offer whatever I can from my experience and training to to support my clients. So explain what this looks and feels like in practice. Sure. So it 
requires two, a couple, who at least one who, and both, because it's voluntary. It's a voluntary out-of-court dispute resolution process. It's fully legal. It's practiced in every state across the country. Um, there are practice groups of professionals who work together, um, who have uh, rapport and trust building, because it's very important that the professionals have trust among themselves. And the clients then have the support of their lawyer. So each client has a lawyer. There's a mental health coach who provides um, support to normalize all of the intense emotions during the process and who can help with parenting um, plans and who can also help with reestablishing trust and accountability and improved communication, which are often lacking when people are thinking about getting divorced. And then the financial neutral is there to gather and organize all of the financial data for the family so that both parties can feel equal in understanding their financial reality. And then when they're ready, psychologically ready to make a decision, uh, we put together brainstorming options and ideas that won't be insulting to the other side. And we come up with plans that will work for everybody. One of the unusual things here is that the opposing attorneys are not really opposing. Explain the relationship of the attorneys in a collaborative divorce. Sure. It is a real thing of beauty. When two lawyers are together using their best approaches and minds to solve a problem collectively, um, it's a it's a completely different dynamic than the traditional one when lawyers are we're you know we're very individualistic we um, tend to have strong opinions we forcefully argue for them uh, we can still do that but we don't do it in a mean way and we don't bully each other and we don't say oh if you don't do what I want we're just going to let the judge decide it's a completely different dynamic we roll up our sleeves together and we say we're part of the solution here we respect each other's uh, opinions we respect each other's um, abilities. We all have different strengths. We can play to our strengths. Um, and then nobody takes advantage of mistakes, which is a huge difference. Um, you know, if somebody makes a mistake, then we say, oh, hey, did you notice there was an error? And then we correct it. We don't shame each other. We don't blame each other. We don't, you know, try to hide the ball and take advantage. So it's a, it's a different dynamic. So part of going down the path of a collaborative divorce means taking some options off the table. Explain what happens. You know, I assume even when there's agreement to collaborate, it perhaps doesn't go that way as you get into it. There's disagreements about child custody and division of assets. Um, you started with the best of intentions, but you just hit these walls kind of like you did in your marriage. Yeah, that happens for sure. Um, there's obviously a dynamic between the couple. And so as professionals, we are the container and we try not to, um, we, we try to recognize when we all might be falling into patterns as well that are unhealthy. And there's 98% of cases settle um, no matter what. So same thing with collaborative cases. Most collaborative cases settle. Um, and the question is just how are you gonna how are you gonna have deeper conversations about whatever it is that is the impasse? Oftentimes, it's not the thing that you, 
that people say that they're fighting about. It's usually something underlying, some emotional need that's not being met. And if we take the time to listen a little deeper, we can usually satisfy uh, people's needs, whatever it is, whether it's your need to be heard or um, it, mostly it's a need to be heard. I think people really wanna be heard. And I think that this process allows you to do that in a way that feels safe. What's the difference between collaborative divorce and mediation and an uncontested divorce? Great. So there's basically four ways that you can get divorced. Um, so an uncontested divorce is basically a kitchen table divorce or any kind of divorce where you're not going to court or you're not allowing the court to be the final decision maker. It means the couple has taken responsibility for making their own decision about all the important aspects that need to be addressed in, a, in every divorce. So that's an uncontested divorce. Um, mediation is a great option when two people are on equal bargaining footing with each other. They have equal access to the financial data and they feel equally psychologically ready to negotiate with each other. A mediator and mediation um, is often one mediator who serves as a neutral. They're not giving legal advice and they are there to help you reach a resolution. Oftentimes mediation can happen with lawyers. If both clients are represented, you could go to mediation with a lawyer. You could have a, a process called shuttle diplomacy where you and your lawyer are sitting in a room or maybe a Zoom room and your spouse and their lawyer are in a different room and the mediator goes back and forth. That's shuttle diplomacy. That happens when you have a lawyer involved, when you have each client has lawyers representing them. Uh, but a lot of people just go to a one mediator and they don't have their lawyers with them and then they can sit in the room together and have a conversation. Uh, collaborative divorce is like mediation on steroids. It's for people who want to have an amicable conversation about how to get divorced, but they know that they need a little more support, that their situation is more complex and they want the support of their lawyer, but they don't want their lawyer to make it worse. We're talking about everybody getting along in a collaboration, and yet there are two sets of attorney. Um, we don't agree that we're going to have one person like a mediator. So isn't that a bit of a structural contradiction that there are, you may not call yourselves opposing attorneys, but you represent your client? So no, there, each client has a relationship with a lawyer and it's an advocacy relationship. So the role of the lawyer in the collaborative model is to advocate for their clients and what their clients need and to be a guide and to be supportive and to offer counsel uh, as the process goes on. And so there's really no, just because people have differences of opinion, people can have conflict, but that doesn't mean that you're ultimately not going to still reach a resolution. Um, conflict is a part of life and we try to model uh, effective communication so that we are authentic, we're honest, we're saying what we mean, we mean what we say, and we try not to say it mean. So some of the elements that lead, can lead to divorce include domestic violence or abuse of some sort. What do you do with that? Sure. We definitely do a screening for um, interpersonal violence um, and domestic violence. So if uh, somebody, mostly the survivor, feels safe being involved in a collaborative process, we could do it. Um, for example, if the domestic violence or the controlling behaviors or something like that were 
either in the past or could be managed uh, within the context. We'd all want to know about that ahead of time. Um, if there's active domestic violence, if there's active addiction or active mental health issues, then it may not be the right model for people. On the other hand, just because there's either mental health issues or addiction issues doesn't mean that we couldn't engage in the process. We could slow things down, we could encourage treatment, and then we can come back to the to the table when people are feeling ready to um, make decisions that are gonna meet their needs and um, make sense. When do you know that you've been successful as a collaborative divorce lawyer? I feel like we, personally, I judge success by, you know, watching my clients evolve. And if they can emerge healthier and more wholehearted from their divorce process and feeling empowered to take on the next stage of their life, then that makes me feel like I've succeeded. Well, let's bring into the conversation um, one of your clients, Martine Antel, uh, lives in Waterbury Center. Uh, is a pharmacist uh, by day. And um, Martine, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you. What led you to decide to go the route of collaborative divorce? I um, was hit all of a sudden. I I don't know that anyone sort of expects to get divorced um to go through a divorce um but i felt like i was um sort of sideswiped and knocked down and when i had spoken with a friend who had laid out the options for divorce um, the ones that Nancy had gone through, I was really drawn to the collaborative process. I think I, I don't, I don't know that I had ever felt so completely alone, um, at that point in my life. And <laughs> the word collaborative, and once I started looking at um, lawyers who, you know, you know, could help me through this process. I came across um, Nancy's website and read uh, the quote that she has on there, which I wish I would have written down now um, from Brene Brown. Um, and I knew that this would be the woman <laughs> that would help me get through this. What is the quote? I need to, I need to look that up. <laughs> Nancy, you're you're shrugging. You're not sure what it is either. It's but... vulnerability, which is just. I mean, I will say that I I read um, from the Book of Awakening um, every morning, and it has like a quote of the day. And today's it doesn't have a quote of the day. It has like a sort of a a story and today's um it oftentimes will give an analogy and today it spoke about salmon and how they like fight upstream 
right? They fight against like all odds. And so I'm, I will read this last paragraph because I really feel drawn to do that because it brings in the vulnerability piece. And then hopefully Nancy will have found the vulnerability quote. Um, but it says, the salmon offer us a way to face truth without shutting down. They show us how leaning into our experience, though we don't like the hit, moves us on. Time and again, though we'd rather turn away, it is the impact of being revealed through our willingness to be vulnerable that enables us to experience both mystery and grace. And I just thought that was incredibly ironic because today I was talking with both of you and vulnerability and the part that, you know, that Nancy had put on her website, <laughs> quoting Brene, Brene Brown was, was, was what drew me to this process. You had a, when you decided to end your marriage, you had the choices that Nancy laid out, mm -hmm. um, the traditional route, you know, perhaps you would have gained some advantage uh, out of it there. Um, and you also had to know that your partner was a hundred percent willing to collaborate. How do you do that at a moment when you're essentially agreeing to disagree, you have to agree to remove, you know, a bunch of powerful tools at your disposal, you know, getting a shark of a lawyer to get you the best deal possible and agree with your partner that um, we're going to we're going to do this together. I knew I knew in my heart that I needed to find a way to get through this, to move beyond this, to grow through this that would somehow shelter our children. And I also knew that that um, that that Nick felt the same way. or that I could absolutely um, if he wasn't there at the time, I could get him there because I knew that, at the foundation, this was about the well-being of our family, no matter how it was going to change. Martine, I wonder, as you contemplated how you wanted to untangle your marriage, you probably saw a lot of examples around you with friends, and maybe there was something you saw that really made you feel like I don't want it to go that way. And I, I wonder what models, role models you had for divorce. Can you describe that? Yeah. Um I don't know that I had any role models. Um and I think that was the piece that was so tricky. You know, I was very lucky to be surrounded by friends who were happily married. My parents have been happily married for too many years to count. Um, and 
I think that's what was so isolating um, and scary and felt like insurmountable. Um, and so I knew that I somehow needed to connect with someone who would be able to like support me in more than just the traditional legal way. Um, I didn't know that it could, I didn't know really the ins and outs of collaborative. Um, and I didn't know the extent to what sort of teamwork and like the framework of the collaborative process. Um, can you describe honestly, yeah. you know what so your husband Nick and you mm -hmm. what did this look like what did you have to do together in order to become a part we had to sit with each other a lot and talk um yeah, we were not in the same place. And there had to be patience and tolerance to allow the other person the time and the space and the support to sort of catch up so that we could work through this we could you know we couldn't even work through certain scenarios until we both were sort of at the right place so it took a hell of a lot of patience how long did it take the whole process from deciding you were going to end your marriage to when you received the papers officially ending it yeah well, I know I met with Nancy for the first time in May of 2021. Um, the, we had decided we were getting a divorce in, in February, middle of February of 2021. Um, and then our divorce was actually finalized in right at the start of January of this year, 2023. And were there multiple sessions explain the actual process for people who have no idea what this could look like uh you know there are multiple sessions with you and your now ex-husband and lawyers and these neutral parties that nancy's described explain who's in the room or the zoom room whatever and and how you do this yeah it was a lot of zoom um and I remember when once we started this process, I remember, you know, meeting with Nancy and then maybe a couple weeks had gone by and, you know, I didn't really know how this worked. And I remember her texting or calling and being like, okay, you, you know, you, we're doing this together. Like, where are you at? There was, there was constant, like, constant, like, check-ins and like sort of 
yeah, like seeing where I was at, feeling, feeling out how the process was going. And as that was happening, you know, with Nancy, we were meeting very regularly with um, a mental health coach. And I'm the majority of the time it was weekly or every two weeks, um, I would meet with Nick and our coach, our mental health coach. Um, what is a mental health coach? People are familiar with a therapist, but this is not that. Yeah. She, she is that, but I, I, I think it, I don't know if Nancy can describe this more. I feel like I've sort of thought about what this means is that, you know, it's not like she was not my therapist. She was a coach for both of us to sort of emotionally process and walk through and sort of progress through this process, sort of helping us identify the obstacles and the the blocks in the way and then help us coach coach through how, you know, give us tools in which we could sort of maneuver around together, how we could move through this process together. Nancy, can you explain the role of these, you call them neutrals, they're neutral parties. And this is something is sort of unique to the collaborative divorce process, right? Yeah, it definitely is. So the the mental health neutral um, is a highly skilled family systems therapist. They're either, you know, PhD psychologists or licensed family uh, mental health professionals. Um, they have years of experience in um, family systems, in grief, in divorce. Um, they're highly skilled and trained, but in this role, they don't have their confidentiality um, with the clients. They're not billing insurance and they're not diagnosing. So they're taking the best of their skills and their experience and bringing it to helping a couple live, real time, um, work through uh, the complexity of the emotional landscape of, of, of a divorce. And it's, I think, very satisfying for the mental health coaches to be able to do that because oftentimes they would only see usually the wreckage after a divorce or trying to work with one person uh, alone. But here they can see the couple um, and they can help to build uh, trust, which comes from accountability, which is like what Martine was suggesting, like weekly or biweekly every couple of weeks meeting that's because things go on and maybe you try something and then you come back the next week and you're like well that actually didn't feel that good when you said x and you can have that conversation and unpack it um, rather than building resentment because you're not expressing yourself these meetings with the mental health coach taking place apart from the attorney so you're not in those that's sessions right. that's because... right so we try to be efficient, right? We don't want the lawyers to be there at every meeting because that's not our skill set. So, um, and we recognize that it's expensive to have all of us together when we are meeting. So we want to have those meetings be very thoughtful, well-planned and have working agendas. Um, so just like the clients can start working with the coach to deal with the emotional and the com communication issues, they're also at the same time using the financial neutral to collect and analyze the financial data. So 
to Martine's point, it's very common that one person is feeling like they want this done yesterday and somebody else is feeling like, oh my God, I, I can't even believe this is still happening to me. So until you're both at the same sort of place of acceptance, um, the person who wants it done yesterday can be assured that there is forward momentum. It's not maybe as fast as yesterday, but it's moving forward and they can help with the financial piece or they can, you know, be patient um, to Martine's point um, and allow their spouse to catch up psychologically. Because once you do catch up, it doesn't take long for the settlements to kind of come into place. Um, but right. until you are feeling psychologically ready, it's very difficult to, to make good decisions. Martine, which one of those were you? Were you the one wanting it done yesterday or were you the one needing to slow down? I was the one needing to slow down. I I always compared myself to a deer in headlights. Did you feel like you were able to do that through this mechanism? 100%. Martine, did you at any point in, in reading Nancy's book, um, it talks about where clients sometimes have to part ways with this approach. They decide, no, they need an attorney to get something that they can't agree with their partner with. Were you ever tempted to exit the collaborative approach and take a different path? No, never. No, because there wasn't ever anything that Nancy wasn't advocating for me about. There wasn't ever anything where I felt like I was able to get somewhere or, you know, try to obtain something through this process where I couldn't go about it like the, the right way um like i was in this process nancy how often does it happen that somebody begins a collaborative divorce but ends up exiting and taking a different route well it happens um but i think it happens similarly to regular litigation like if there's only two percent of cases that go to trial because 98 percent of them settle i think the same is true for the collaborative model we try to do part of the role of the neutral uh, mental health coach is to also do a deep dive intake so that we can screen out for any overt psychopathology that might make it impossible for somebody to eventually reach an agreement because their psychology is such that they're never going to reach an agreement. They're never going to be satisfied. There's nothing anybody can do. So, and sometimes those folks are a little tricky. They appear like willing and able, but then you're in it and you're like, uh oh, this is not working and roadblocks are coming up. So, as a team, we would assess, you know, if we've reached an impasse to the point where somebody's not engaging in the process in good faith or they don't have the capacity to do it, then we'll terminate the process or the clients will just terminate the process. So, it does happen. Um, but I'd say not, not, I'd say consistently with what happens in the rest of the world in terms of people's willingness to settle cases or, or have a judge decide it. Nancy, you know, most people only have the experience of going through a divorce once. Most people, some people have several. 
you of course deal with this every day. So what may be new to uh, Martine or another client is something you see a lot. And we know that something like half of marriages end in divorce. Are there some big themes that you see, uh, you know, as of, you know, current as of today that leads people to divorce? Well, you know, in terms of big themes, they're kind of the typical ones that, you know, money, sex, power, <laughs> the basic things where people and lack of communication. I think ultimately all of those other issues, mental health issues, substance abuse, um, all of those issues could be probably addressed if people had the communication skills to really say what they mean and and really articulate what they need and want from a relationship. And I just feel like as a culture, we're not really taught to express ourselves um, so honestly. And a lot of times people um, have to wait until a collaborative divorce process to truly say what's on their mind and heart um, with respect to their spouse. And um, But we try to build that confidence up, build that sense of like your own personal identity as you're going to be moving on as an individual person and separate from a diet, separate from a marriage, right? There's so many losses associated with a divorce, right? You lose your best friend, you lose your lover, you're going to lose, somebody's going to lose their housing. Half of the family wealth is going to go. No one's going to know where they're going for the holidays. You lose the dream of what you thought you were building. And that's the one that usually just kind of crushes your soul and because nobody expects to get divorced, even though, as you say, David, you know, close to 50 percent of first marriages end in divorce. It's actually closer to um, three quarters in second marriages. So and I think it's also because we live longer, you know, like what you wanted, you know, in the old days, we, you know, maybe live 15 years together. And like that seems manageable. But in the modern world, you know, if you're what you want when you're 25 may not be what you want when you're 45 or 55 or 65. So people often just um, need to separate and it just doesn't have to be a shame and blame game. And so that's why I think of collaborative divorce as like the modern ritual of getting divorced in a healthy way. One of the paradoxes, it seems to me, in this approach is that in this process of agreeing to disagree, you have to kind of agree on a very intimate and level, you know, where you have to have the trust that perhaps has been lost in the relationship. You have to work together that more than likely is something you're no longer able to do and that has led you to this point. I wonder if in the process of a collaborative divorce, you ever see a couple deciding not to get divorced because they're actually able to do the things that they were unable to do. Yes, that happens. Um, people definitely reconcile if you if you take the time to um, to realize that divorce is not your best option and that's not actually even what you want. So it 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 can help. Um, not every not every divorce ends in divorce. Sometimes people reconcile, but if you don't do the work, it's likely that you're going to end up back in the in the same sort of pattern um, of miscommunication and misunderstanding and. Um, I don't know. You get, you know, relationships require attention. Martine, did going through this process with your ex while you were in the middle of it ever lead you 
to doubt or reconsider this or did it did you feel kind of affirmed all the way through um it never led me closer to reconsidering however it does like nancy said like force you to do the work and you're working on this relationship that especially with small kids that you're going to have to continue for a long time forever (laughs) um and I think that's really like, I mean, that's probably the most beautiful part of this like ugly process is really that, yeah, like I gained trust in an ex-partner because we learned through this process how we were going to work together to continue to be these two kids, mom and dad, we weren't doing that separately. I mean, there needs to be some sort of togetherness in that. How would you describe your relationship now with Nick, your ex-husband? He's my friend. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what, when you work through resentment, like Nancy said, and you dig deep and you process all the things and you, you know, like, I think you just get to the point where you realize and you see the other person as this human being and you just want the best for them just like you want the best for your kids and you want the best for yourself and so I would call him a friend Nancy uh, as you listen to Martine what (laughs) what are some what are your thoughts Oh my gosh, I'm always just so moved um, to know that it does work because there's so many people that um, naysay it or put it down or say it's woo-woo or say it's not, you know, some sort of legit form of dispute resolution and not everybody can do it. And I understand that. But when people can do it, like Martine's story, it's just, it's very uplifting. And um, what... she just exemplifies how there's a myth that when you get divorced in the culture, there's a myth that somehow you can just put that person in the rear view mirror and put them in a nice little box and like never have to deal with them again. And that is so unrealistic. And I feel like this process deals with reality. It says you are going to be co-parents for the rest of your lives and you can set a new narrative, which is that, you know, we are going to be, better friends and co-parents than we were a married couple. And even just creating a new narrative like that sets the tone where friendship 
after a divorce is, is not only possible, but probable, especially if you have your intention going into the divorce with a group of people who are wanting that for you. And then for you to be able to step into it and achieve it is just a very satisfying experience. So, Nancy, knowing what you know now, having worked with couples at so many kind of difficult transition points in their life, if you were offering some advice to a couple on the cusp of getting married, what are some key pearls of wisdom you would share? Uh, you know, advice from a divorce lawyer to a newlywed. Of course, I would applaud your opti- your romantic optimism. Um, and I would probably suggest a prenup. And you could do that by having a very good conversation, a collaborative conversation about a prenuptial agreement. Um, and having honest conversations about money and honest conversations about your expectations for each other and your roles um, in marriages. And talking about these things in advance is really well worth your time, um, well worth your time to, to have these kind of conversations ahead of time. And there are some workbooks that I actually have about um, how to have, you know, family in two homes and also how to build a, a, a new marriage together and having that conversation, um, even if you don't do a prenup, if it's your first marriage and you're not bringing a lot of assets into the marriage, um, still having the conversations, I think is just key and essential. And then I'm wishing you all well. And if it doesn't work out, give me a call. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's a good note to end it on. Um, Nancy Smith and Martine Antel, I want to thank both of you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.